Hello, I'm Father Mitch Packwell, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we'll have a guest from New York City, and he will be able to help us get a simple breakdown introduction to the way of contemplation or contemplative prayer, particularly as taught by St. John of the Cross. We'll look at the mysteries and difficulties and joys of prayer, and also take a look at how silent contemplation prepares our hearts to be illuminated and surprised by an unspeakable love from God. Here to lay out the meaning of deep contemplative prayer and the preparation we need to undertake to enter that prayer, please welcome our guest, who is also the author of a book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. Please welcome Father Donald Haggerty. Father Haggerty, welcome. Thank Good to you, have Father you Mitch. Here. Now, I mentioned that uh, you're from New York, uh, and compared to people down here, you talk funny. <laughs> they say the same about me. Uh, and uh, you live where in New York? I live at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. Okay. Right in the middle of Manhattan. Yes. Which may seem a little incongruous to speak of contemplation and more quiet prayer in the middle of that noisy city. Yeah. But that is a challenge that perhaps many people now are uh, resonating with, the desire for deeper prayer despite a certain amount of busyness in life. I think that's on, spot on. And we're seeing how a lot of people have been looking for peace through drug use, and some of them look for ecstasy in sex. They're looking for something that has resonances of a religious experience without religion. A lot of people went into New Age kind of meditation. Uh, and some people would try various forms of yoga, usually fairly simple forms. Um, but there's a Christian contemplation. Tell us more about that. What, what makes Christian contemplation Christian? Well, first of all, Father Mitch, we should acknowledge that, uh, you know, the soul has as St. John of the Cross will say, an almost infinite depth of possible interiority with God. Mm -hmm. So once we begin to uh, put our feet into that water of prayer, we're actually facing a limitless horizon of uh, possible encounter with God. Mm -hmm. So the real question of prayer and of relations with God in prayer are one of depth. You know, how far, how, how deep can this relationship with God become? Yeah. And it's not just, certainly it's good to say in the opening minute even here that we don't go to prayer for the sake of experiences. We go for the sake of a deeper union with God. And, 
You know, a saint is someone who actually did, with grace, respond very fully to the, to the, you know, the, the they were very receptive to God giving himself to them. And no saint became a saint except that they had very deep and deeper prayer as their life went on. So the question of contemplation is crossing a threshold at some point into not only now putting our feet or legs in the water, but actually letting ourselves get drawn out into the deeper currents of prayer. And this is something that um, a lot of folks don't always understand. I, I know um, I, the audience is aware I had a heart attack six years ago. And one of the things in the rehab program was to try to get me to do yoga. And I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I had zero interest in that. Mm -hmm. And they tried being insistent. Well, one, one of the people did. Uh, and behind his back, some of the other people were saying, good for you, good for you. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. And I'm going to pray in a Christian manner, which is to focus on Jesus Christ, not on relaxation or emptiness. Mm -hmm. That would be very much part of St. John's contemplation, correct? Well, it's a good uh, point you're bringing up because the, there are many people who would call themselves very much uh, spiritual that they have a uh, deep love for spirituality outside the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. And the real crossroad there is in the depth of our prayer, in the depth of interiority, are we seeking the other who is God? Are we seeking a person in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praying before a tabernacle or praying in front of a crucifix? has the uh, drawing power to, to take us out of self toward an, another in love. Whereas some of these other practices are actually an effort to descend into a tranquility or a, an inner spirit experience of relaxation, as you mentioned, of mm -hmm. self-mastery, perhaps in yoga, that they are self-oriented in some manner. And, yeah. and that's a very huge difference. The reality of the gospel is to lose ourself, even in greater prayer, to become self-forgetful, attending to God, you know, caught up in love for God. It's not a plunge into uh, experiences of the inner self. In the early 70s, I myself had experimented with various forms of what would later maybe a decade later, be called New Age kind of things um, in, in terms of trying various forms of meditation. And that was something that I began to see as I did it. Either I'm going to seek an interior state of consciousness or I'm going to seek Jesus Christ. And it was, wasn't until I could see that that was the choice before me. Mm -hmm. Getting to, to the state of consciousness or getting to this person. 
Once I could see that, I said, oh, forget the state of consciousness. I need to focus on Jesus Christ. But that was a clear decision I had to make at some, by the time I could see what the issue is. And this is what Christian contemplation is about. This enlightenment by being in union with Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And, and what you're saying, Father Mitch, uh, is also very pertinent for, uh, for Catholics who seek prayer, mm -hmm. because there are many people, I think, <clears throat> who become enamored, you know, somewhat with prayer. They begin to taste the beauty of prayer. Mm -hmm. And there is that decision still, you know, am I going to be seeking for inner experiences? You know, what my consciousness can, can undergo you know, some experiences of tranquility or peace, or is the real focus of our prayer in love and in faith toward Jesus Christ crucified, the great reality of love incarnate. Yeah. And, you know, St. John of the Cross is very strong, and I think all of these saintly people would tell us the same, St. Ignatius of Loyola would say the same, that prayer will always make us more self-forgetful, that we know the real fruit of genuine prayer by what takes place outside of the time of prayer. You know, are we inclined more toward a wanting God and wanting to give our will, you know, more fully to Him, to be generous in self-giving? And that, that, that same dynamic of turning toward God is taken then outside a time of prayer, outside a chapel or church, in a dynamic to give to others then in, in, uh, in generosity. So it's, you could say the fruits of prayer will show themselves. I think if people are self-oriented in this seeking of experiences, they are probably becoming more withdrawn in their approach to human relations also. When, when I was studying the New Age movement, I saw that a lot of people had claimed Jesus was giving them messages. One was a New Yorker, Helen Shookman. Do you know that name? No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. She, she was a psychologist at Columbia University Hospital. Okay. Um, Father Grishel was friends with her, knew her well. And she wrote a, a, a very uh, popular series of books from her Jesus. And her Jesus, because it wasn't the Jesus of the gospel, but her Jesus said, uh, by the way, the book is called Course in Miracles. Okay. Very, very popular. So let's go. And her Jesus said, love and self-sacrifice are incompatible. And I said, hmm, that seems to be the exact opposite of what the Jesus of the Gospels mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. And what St. Paul warned about, about other Jesuses, mm -hmm. is it gives this as an example. This is a, a fake Christ teaching a fake Gospel. Whereas St. John of the Cross had a strong sense that self-sacrifice and, and entering with Christ in the cross is key to contemplation. 
I mean, very true, and it's, a, it's really a very important uh, truth that you just brought up, because without some practice of asceticism, some value of self-denial in our lives, not indulging, you know, our preference in, in not necessarily very sinful actions, but even indulging ourselves with comfort too much, that, is, that in itself is a self-orienting approach to, to life. And without a sacrificial dimension, some asceticism, you know, in our food, in our sleep, in our clothing, these things, uh, if we are self-indulgent, we should not expect that prayer is going to go beyond the superficial, perhaps. Yeah. And it's yeah. one, of, one of the truths of what's happened in the collapse of religious life in our own time, in the last decades, and sometimes in seminary life where in, you know, 50, well, we have to say now, more than 50 years ago, there was much more inculcation of a self-denying lifestyle in religious life and in, in seminaries. That dropped out completely, and I think we see the, the effects of it now. So that without, you know, some kind of reality of denying ourselves. St. John of the Cross has a very short aphorism where he says, deny your desires and you will find out what your heart longs for. There's a great truth in that. You know, yeah, what does that mean? Explain that a little bit more because that is a profound It's a great statement, statement because it, the more we are indulging our desires, you know, just chasing after, you know, whatever attractions we have, we're actually blocking a deeper reality of a given desire for God. You know, the saints, these holy people, some of the Mother Teresa sisters, many of them do have a fire consuming them all for God. And in part, it's because they don't have secondary desires that are so overwhelming or consuming. Mm -hmm. They live a, you know, a, a very mortified you know, life in, in, in many cases, and also their life with the poor in the case of missionaries of charity. Mm -hmm. And what that does, it doesn't just empty a person out in a kind of Buddhist you know, emptying of all desire. What it does actually is put a great fire of desire into that person and that mm -hmm. soul wanting to give all to Christ. It's very different than the Buddhist, you know, recommendation, you know, that be completely empty of all things, and then you'll see the truth that it all is empty, you know, in itself. Mm -hmm. No, we get consumed by a greater fire for God then. And I think this is, uh, that, that truth is what was behind my earlier statement about a lot of people seeking uh, these experiences of inner peace through drugs or to seek peak experiences in sexuality mm. and other forms of, uh, in some ways with food we have people who identify as foodies mm. you know that they're looking for the next greatest and best and tastiest recipe and they dedicate themselves well, and, and I like good food you know there is behind any one of those and similar things a desire for the infinite God. 
These are desires to go beyond ourselves, but underlying that is ultimately a truer desire for God who would satisfy those desires infinitely more. Mm. I mean, we have by our, in our nature, you know, a natural desire for happiness and, and a natural desire for God, for truth. And if we can be caught in some manner, seized by the real reality of, you know, what does give happiness in our life, that God is personal. He is giving himself to us in the Eucharist, mm -hmm. that he really does enter into our heart and soul, that he's there in the presence of a tabernacle or a monstrance. That, you know, consuming kind of desire, you know, can become a fire, you know, in the soul. Mm -hmm. And the beginnings of contemplative life, you know, are in part, you know, consistent with that. At some point, a person gets caught. They get become captive of God's desire for the soul. Mm -hmm. And then they begin to walk in that path of wanting Him, mm -hmm. being filled with this, you know, increasing desire for Him. And there's something else that about contemplative prayer that focuses on Christ, which goes against our own cultural values at a profound level. It also entails repenting of sin. You know, if you're seeking God, you repent of sin, and contemplative saints typically see themselves as big sinners. Mm. Everybody else looks and said, you guys are so good. Mm. But my sense of it and let's check with you on this, is that the closer you get to God who enlightens us, the more we can see the way that sin has marred our soul, our personality, our self, that, that sin is, you know, we don't see the sin as clearly until we get closer to God mm. and He can show His light on how sinful we actually are. And that's part of this process as well, repenting of sin. Well, I think uh, what, what does happen, again, my experience with the Sisters of Mother Teresa over many years, you know, people who are not living really that, that deep a life of prayer will look upon their sinful life and their behaviors whether their words they speak or they hurt someone or impulsively, you know, are judgmental in their remarks. But the deeper people are conscious of sin in the interiority, in these greater depths, where they find themselves impatient, you know, and, and, and perhaps irritable with uh, circumstances and struggling to give, perhaps, and... and, and and, and not giving or omitting, you know, things that they could have done, you know, for God. Mm -hmm. And I think that that consciousness of people who are more contemplative, more growing in depth, they're very aware there's so much at stake here that we have to give our lives, you know, very fully before God. Otherwise, it's not just that we don't become holy, 
it's that many other people will not be touched by grace. And so I think they're very conscious of that, the failure in some days perhaps, not to give of oneself more fully may be a cost of a soul that could have received something of a sacrificial offering from our lives and, and did not receive. Mm -hmm. So I think there, there's probably a sense in those deeper souls that God is asking a lot, not just for the sake of holiness, but he's asking, as Mary did all the time in, in these apparitions of the last 200 years, asking for a great sacrificial offering for souls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and with an awareness that, uh, especially in the various Marian apparitions, uh, an awareness that many people are easily accepting the culture's uh, preference of, for sin. You know, the preference for sin changes over time. Mm -hmm. Some people, uh, you know, we see in this country, mm -hmm. at one time we were pretty accepting of slavery. Mm -hmm. Now we're, we want to run away from that. But instead we're very accepting of violence, mm -hmm. very accepting of drug abuse and sexual sin. Whereas in other times, oh, we, that's very, very naughty. We can't talk about that. So they wouldn't do sexual sin, but they would have slaves. I mean, sin changes in popularity and people are unaware because it's part of the cultural environment. And Our Lady in these various visions has warned about the souls that are following the cultural stream and going to hell and our own alertness to Christ helps us to be motivated to bring them away from that sin. Well, I think it's so true that there is a, a sensitivity or insensitivity, you know, to the truths of sin. Mother Teresa had a comment that I, I like to use occasionally in a sermon when she said, indifference is the great evil. And that can be an indifference to the poor, it can be an indifference to God, but indifference to the reality of sin. And one thing that you uh, could have added to what you said, the ma many Catholics, I think now, and I'm at a cathedral in New York, so mm -hmm. I maybe have more vision of this, that many Catholics have a very insensitive awareness of the sacredness of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's safe to say we're living in the era of the church more than ever of sacrilege toward the Eucharist in the reception of communion when people perhaps don't go to Mass every Sunday or are, we have people living together without marriage, young and older, and go to communion freely. At a cathedral we have all the time people coming to communion and it's kind of clear they're not regular practicing Catholics. Mm -hmm. So I think the contemplative life, the life of prayer, is also painful in the awareness that the most sacred things are sometimes you know, treated with uh, an irreverence. And it would be like having your father disrespected before you, and you, to your, you know, right in your presence. That would be painful if I saw my father you know, disrespected by someone. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're seeing you know, in, in the church often, I think. 
I think uh, uh, I, I, I have the same sense, you know, um, uh, at our parish, uh, th there are various signs of respect. For instance, our congregation remains standing. This is an Eastern Rite Church, uh, Oriental Rite Church. And they remain standing until the priest has completed purification of the chalice and paten, mm. that they show respect for the presence of our Lord even in the last drops mm. inside the chalice. They don't see it, mm. but they know he's there. And until we purify, they don't sit down. It's those kind of gestures mm. were a way to help us you know, see the dignity of Christ mm -hmm. and uh, in, in the Blessed Sacrament, whereas we've come from an age over the last 60 years that focused so much on community and community love and experience of community at church that the presence of Christ is de-emphasized in contrast to the community. Mm. and. I think we're over it now, but for many years, some churches removed the Blessed Sacrament from the church. Mm. Um, you know, I, I used to call them churches of St. Mary Magdalene. Hmm. Yeah. They've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they placed him. <laughs> yes, how, how true. Um, so, of course, you're going to have this indifference yeah. to the reality that God is present here, that this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, not some symbol or something for our community. Well, as you know very well, the, uh, the church in its history tends to you know, bounce back and forth in, in, in many things. And I think one of those things that's taken place in our own time and we need to get back is the, you know, perhaps overemphasis on the communal dimension to the loss of the need for private prayer mm -hmm. and the need for, you know, praying, even if it's some minutes, you know, paying a visit to a church, perhaps every day, kneeling down before a tabernacle, and perhaps more, you know, if we can do that. But private prayer is a key element in, in our spiritual life. And I think people who pray with seriousness in private prayer they're not plagued by that kind of um, irreverence, you know, a disrespect for the sacredness of the Eucharist. They, if you pray before a tabernacle, it doesn't take long to realize, I'm, I'm kneeling here before my God. Mm -hmm. And the words of St. Thomas, you know, maybe are more frequent on those lips and in that heart, my Lord and my God, with that kind of awe yes. at God. And, you know, to have some kind of a contemplative disposition in our private life of prayer, I think it's a, you know, we're moving in maybe in that direction now. We have many Eucharistic chapels open now in, in many parishes, and the Blessed Sacrament is exposed for private prayer. Mm -hmm. Many people have been caught by that desire to have silence with God. Mm -hmm. Those are all good signs. and. They are, in particular, and again, you'd be very sensitive to this given where you live, uh, to have those moments of silence before God in a very noisy world. It's not a world of music 
and beautiful sound, it's often a world of noisiness and junk sounds, not only traffic and honking horns, but foolish music, foolish background noise. Uh, and we need to have that time of silence before God. I agree. And it may be one reason why I've used earplugs for many years in prayer. And yeah, to have, to find that quiet. And I think also to find, uh, if you live in a city, churches are a beautiful thing in a city. Yeah. Uh, you know, Protestant churches tend to be, they lock their doors, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing that in Catholic churches and cities, those church doors are open. And to go in the quiet hours and pray and to find that as a regular uh, need in one's life, that, that's a beautiful beginning of something deeper with God. Yeah. You know, and to cultivate this contemplative need for God. You know, in the past, we often only exclusively used that word contemplation or contemplative for those who are living in cloisters or monasteries. Mm -hmm. And I, I think now we've had these saints, Mother Teresa, mm -hmm. Mother Angelica would be one. Mm -hmm. the, these very holy people who lived in the world were you know, leading us you know, to be aware as lay people, as priests, as religious, but as the lay people to realize that contemplative desire for some quiet with God is the opening to a sometimes very major, you know, changes in one's life then. We begin to live with a undercurrent of desire for God then in much more in the hours of our day. Yeah. And of course, this is going to vary with the seasons of life. A mom with a newborn child can't tell the child, you know, you just wait until I'm ready to feed you. I got to pray. No, I mean, that, you know, moms and dads with little babies, you know, have enough just to get asleep, <laughs> a little prayer. But as those seasons of life change, mm -hmm. as kids go to school or they move out, and all, then the times opening up for meditation and contemplation uh, can increase. Mm -hmm. And we have to be aware that when one season of life makes a transition, you can go ahead and move towards another season of life in regards to contemplation and prayer. And even, you know, the young mother, you know, she's capable of... Uh feeding that great love for our Lord. You know, babies take naps also. And yeah. the, you know, desire for, you know, those quiet moments, taking advantage. You know, many people are reaching for the cell phone, you know, a lot in their mm -hmm. life. Yeah, yeah. You know, to reach for that quiet moment. I remember reading in a book uh, some years ago of Jean LaFrance, and he tells the story there of a uh, French doctor who had lost his faith in his young days and his youth. And then he had a major conversion in his 40s, joined a Trappist monastery in France. 25 years later, he became the abbot of that monastery. 
And at that time, as the abbot in his first conference with his monks, now he had said also that he did not find that the monastic life there was that contemplative. The monks were very hardworking, ascetical, very good men, but he didn't find it that contemplative and in depth. So at his first conference, he told his hundred or so monks, now under obedience, I'm telling you, seven times a day now, when you are out in the fields working, you ought to stop seven times a day for one minute, just for one minute. And for one minute, close your eyes or look at the sky and adore God and offer him your life in love for one full minute. Well, he said that after one year, he had a monastery now full of very much more deeply prayerful contemplative monks. And I think that story is worth hearing because we all could stop, you know, for a minute. For a minute. Yeah. yeah. And just give God as best as we can ourself fully exactly. in that minute. We need to take a little break, but we'll be back in just a couple of minutes, so please stay with us. We are speaking with Father Donald Haggerty, and one of the books that he's written, among others, is called St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation. You can get it from EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 5429, 5429. Another one of his books, also available, is called Conversion, Spiritual Insights into an Essential Encounter with God. Also by Father Donald Haggerty, uh, and that's item 2114-2114, available also at EWTNRC if you're interested in learning more about contemplative prayer. And something I think that's worth addressing. Uh, my father uh, was opposed to me becoming a priest, but something that he really, really just could not grasp was the idea of becoming a cloistered monk or nun. He just said, that that's just useless. Now, as a kid, I, my dad was a mechanic and car salesman, and I, I said to him, well, Dad, think of a monastery as being like the battery in a car. It's not a moving part, but you can't get anything started without it, you know. So <laughs> That was very, very right on target. That was good. And uh, it also frustrated him. I said, oh. <laughs> but the, the question underlying that is, does contemplation make us 
uh, inactive? Do we just sort of then turn in and you know, seek peace and do nothing uh, except pray? Uh, or is contemplation also compatible with the active apostolate? How does, you know, uh, action for God and helping others go along with contemplation? Well, clearly, Father Mitch, you know the answer to that. And, um, but for the viewers, I think the reality of contemplation is a reality of love. And love for God is always inevitably going to draw us out toward others. Mm -hmm. So even if a person was living in a monastery or a cloistered Carmelite convent, for instance, the sign of a deeper life with God is they're going to turn, you know, toward the other. Mm -hmm. And I think the, we have seen, I think Mother Teresa's sisters are a very good example. She was, she was affected herself by Jesuit spirituality uh, and the desire to be, as she said, a contemplative in the heart of the world. Mm -hmm. And not only, you know, in a kind of abstract sense that if you pray much, then you have the energy to go out and give of oneself. But the desire of Mother Teresa was to really live Matthew 25, the great chapter of Jesus saying, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Naked and you clothed me. In prison, you visited me. When did we see you? When you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Right. That requires a true contemplative awareness, you know, in faith, that we are not just, you know, doing something for love of God, that we're actually touching our Lord in the lives of the poorest of the poor. Uh, Mother Teresa said at one time, to her sisters, we should not work for the poor like they would Jesus. We should work for the poor because they are Jesus. Mm -hmm. So this desire in a contemplative kind of deep way of faith, you know, to see that actions done, you know, are capable of really touching the heart, heart of our Lord. And that can only be done with, with a life of deeper prayer. One, one of the things that that parable in Matthew 25, 31 and following brings out is our Lord Jesus identifies with those least brothers and sisters. That he says, you're doing it to me. You're not doing it to them. Or if you fail to do it for them, you neglect to do it to me. It's that, it's that radical. And same with St. Paul in his conversion, that our Lord says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Mm -hmm. Now, Saul had never seen Jesus mm -hmm. physically, but by persecuting the church, he was doing that to Jesus. And part of the genius of Mother Teresa is that her prayer helped her see Jesus in the poor, um, but it, her contemplation and her sisters are required to make a holy hour every day at the beginning of the day. Is that not 
part of their daily order? Yeah, they have a, you know, a serious life of prayer in the morning, in a couple of hours in the morning of prayer, and then a holy hour you know, later on in the day. They have intermittent prayer you know, in the day. Mm -hmm. And you know, the reality of that is to truly you know, be more and more drawn to the presence of our Lord. And sometimes people would say, well, I, I don't see Jesus in the poor because the poor have a rough appearance and the difficulty of, you know, we have a human being there also with their own sometimes ruined lives. Yes. But none of, none of us would say, if we were praying before monstrance, none of us would say, I see the face of Jesus in the host. We have to live that in faith. And yet he's really there. Actually, there is no bread. You know, that has changed completely into the invisible presence right. of our Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation. And when we are with the poor, you know, there's a kind of contemplative possibility. We don't see the face of Jesus in this, you know, ruined life and that face that may be very battered and bedraggled. But or spaced out. I mean, because out many of our poor are using drugs, yeah. have mental d difficulties and disorders sometimes, mm -hmm. and it's living on the streets as we see in many of our cities today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so the, the, these are, you know, not easy to look upon or talk to in many cases. And yet, how real? Yeah. I mean, as an example, I was on a giving retreats as I do every year with the Missionaries of Charity and in a recent retreat this year, one sister told me she was uh, accompanying another sister in Rome to buy some things and on their way back on a train, they um, went into St. Mary Major, the Basilica mm -hmm. in Rome, and they went into the Blessed Sacrament Chapel where the Blessed Sacrament was exposed and they were praying for a while and then the sister said some tourists, perhaps Americans, came into the chapel and they were a little, they, maybe they didn't realize the need for silence as they walked into mm. that chapel. And so they were talking a little bit and not quite conscious of what, where they were. So she was a little bit uh, put off by that and then the other sister with her, now it was time to leave. So she said as she was, she genuflected, probably bowed to the ground even, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And as she was leaving, she went like this to the Blessed Sacrament, very discreetly, but yeah. you know, to our Lord. Now she's leaving St. Mary Major. And as she walked out the door, a beggar lying there, you know, just a beggar outside the basilica looking for money. As she leaves the basilica, this beggar turns to her and with two hands, sister, I love you, I love you. And it, it struck me very much, that story. Yeah. Because he really is. He can use poor people sometimes Absolutely. to show, and in that case, returning you know, that gesture of love. In fact, much more so even than the sister could. Yeah. And so I think th those things are very real that and the more we live a life of prayer, we're not living a life of imagination then. We're becoming more open to God 
showing his face and his reality in, in, in true ways. In, for those who are not sisters of charity but are moms and dads taking care of children in, in their homes and such, or of elderly and sick relatives, and that the same reality applies that you see Christ in the face of your child, not just when they get an A on a paper uh, at school or when they do their household chores without being yelled at and those, those moments, but you, contemplation helps a parent uh, to see Christ in their child and to, to transform their ministry as parents, their, their service to God as parents, by that con contemplation, even if it's a few moments, every part of your daily work uh, can be, uh, you know, in, influenced by the contemplation that you bring to your work. And I think what's really happening there, and you know, people who are serious about prayer, who are giving themselves in prayer, that the sense of mystery, you know, God is mystery, but very personal in mystery. Mm -hmm. The sense of the sacred, that these undercurrents become become more and more stirred, and so the sense of the mystery of one's child, you know, thoughts, for instance. What is this, you know, little boy going to become at four years old? Mm -hmm. What is my daughter going to become, you know, when, when I see her with this beautiful personality at five years old? Mm -hmm. You know, when I see my child folding her hands, you know, in prayer, what is she going to become? People will have different undercurrents of desire for, for God that, you know, stretches out toward all of their contacts in life. And they don't just become more, you know, prayerful. There's different, uh, you know, intuitive insights then that are stirring within the interior life because people pray. And, and one of the ways in which I think that will show up uh, for, say, people who are still raising children is that when you begin to look at your spouse or your children, from that lens of having focused on Christ and, and being enabled to see Christ in your spouse and in your children, that you then move more and more away from wanting your children to go into a career that makes you look good. Mm. But rather, you start to realize, how do I help my child to listen to God and follow the vocation God has in store for them. These kids are not about fulfilling the desires of my ego mm. so that I can say I'm proud of them, but rather helping them to find the purpose of their life by following God mm. and, you know, how I can see where, you know, hopefully grow and sing, where do I help my children 
grow in their sense of vocation uh, to, to seek God. That's another fruit of this contemplation in concrete families. I mean, to be prayerful will always have uh, an, an, an overflow, you know, into all things. And I think another issue that is pertinent, you know, for parents is that, you know, many people who are, they were good, dedicated parents, you know, they went to church and sought to things, you know, in a spiritual way for their children, and they have experienced their children in college years or later sometimes abandoning the faith or treating it as uh, not so necessary. Or and, even as inimical. Yeah. You know, I, being I, hostile no, to it. You know? You're very hostile. And I think it's a great thing if parents realize now it's not for them, they don't have to go to battle, you know, and have arguments over the faith or try to press with their will aggressively the return of their children to the faith but to be prayerful. You know, there is an, a, a, an overflow releasing when a person sees that another, especially a parent, is full of convictions of faith, mm -hmm. that nothing is going to take my love from you, and that, that parent, with great faith, I know Jesus is going to bring you back. Yeah. And, you know, that, we don't have to argue with our, with our loved ones. We have to be conscious. They, they truly are in the hands of God, and we bring them and put, him, put them in His hands and His heart, you know, over and over. And, and I think as a, a parent goes to contemplation and focuses on our Savior Jesus, that same parent can bring these situations where children, especially adult children, may not want to baptize the grandchildren, may not want to raise them in the truths of the faith, and say, okay, Lord, I don't know how to deal with this. How do you want me to respond to this? And that requires us to first focus on our Lord in contemplation in order to begin finding out how do you want me to react? I can react the way I sometimes did by just wanting to take off my belt and tan their little hides, but that may not be what our Lord wants us to do anymore. What does He ask of us? And that, I think, is uh, another fruit of contemplation in family. So that it doesn't become my disappointment, but rather my mission as Christ guides me. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's an athletic contest, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a question of influence over souls. And I think when people are more prayerful, they go to the heart of Jesus. You know, they go to the heart of Mary and they realize that that is a very real place to try to enter and appeal to our Lord for their son or daughter, you know, and, and that in some manner, it could be that God does find certain prayers irresistible. I think it's in uh, St. Faustina's diary where our Lord says, the prayer that pleases me most is the prayer for the conversion of sinners. It's a prayer always heard and answered. 
That doesn't mean it produces immediate effects, mm -hmm. but it's heard. And especially the prayer of a parent for a child or a brother for his own brother. Or, and I think God works these things out in time. In, and I would also would add increasingly the prayer of a child for parents who may have abandoned mm. the faith. Mm. You know, that uh, in some of the retirement centers, uh, the, you know, a uh, uh, loose and immoral sexual life mm. is considered accepted because, mm. you know, I, I can't give up my Social Security, so we won't get married, but we'll sort of live together. Mm. You know, holiness of life mm. at every stage and not giving in to mm. old temptations at a late stage of life. Mm. Or for young people, I, in any stage we have to be alert to ways in which mm. we can help people mm. become holy. And how does our Lord want us to be used? I mean, I think what you're saying, Father Mitch, is, you know, the great need to return to prayer as, yeah. as a first place in our lives. You know, sometimes Cardinal Ratzinger at the time and then Pope Benedict, you know, he often used the word crisis of faith in our time. Yes. Well, in part, that's a crisis of prayer. Yeah. It's a crisis of prayer, the loss of prayer, the decline of a need for prayer. Families not praying together, you know. And individuals not in individual prayer. Yeah. We're running flat out of time. I want to make sure that we just mention again that your book is called St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, uh, which is item 5429. And this would be something or, um, that you, p folks can get at our religious catalog and help them with their own prayer. Would you join me in giving a blessing to our uh, audience? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by His peace. May Almighty God bless, bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, we can bring Father Haggerty and so many other guests, plus all the other programs that we have available here at EWTN on a wide variety of media. We can do that, not because we have any advertising, but because this network is brought to you by you. So please keep us in between your gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill, and we would be able to use all of that to help us pay our bills as well. God bless you and keep you, and thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.